0: My senior year at Miami, I shot a day-by-day, year-in-the-life documentary. I bought a video camera and shot all the sporting events, the philanthropies, the parties. And while I was at Channel 9 in Cincinnati, I edited that all together. I had interviews with the guys from my fraternity house. And uh, so I created the Delk Time Capsule, a.k.a. From Here to Fraternity.
1: Hi, everybody. David Schwab here. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. On the pod today, Chip Chinnery. You may not know the name. Maybe you do. You certainly know his face and his work. He's been in countless sitcoms and movies. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Curb, Third Rock, Seinfeld, Friends, many, many more. So I am sure you will recognize him as an actor-comedian that's been around for the last, uh, geez, he's been doing it for 30-plus years. Started writing jokes at the age of 13, which we talk about in the pod it's a different type of pod. We've, we've moved from a CEO to a CMO to now someone who gets jobs the night before. It, it's fascinating when we get into the discussion that you'll hear in the podcast about he hears from his manager agent sometimes at 7 p.m. or later the night before for an audition uh, and talks about the importance of practice in that field. And when he was a writer at the beginning, he was really acknowledges a bad writer and you need to practice. And the more that you write, the better you get. I also like the the conversation about another fellow fraternity brother's dad a connection he wrote he had edited a video and had sent it to all his fraternity brother's parents to see if they would buy it for christmas and that connection led to a job at a bank where he became a director of communications and he didn't want to be a banker uh, but a means to an end he needed some money he needed some money so he could practice sitcom and start going on the road and then doing 300 shows a year which has led to a lifelong business of being in the in the Hollywood space and being a comedian and actor. We talk about his, his favorite spot, which was a role on Space Cowboys where he's got a scene with Donald Sutherland and Clint Eastwood is, uh, is the director. It's his favorite appearance he's ever been in, yet he got cut from the scene and the story about him going to the screening not knowing he was cut is unbelievable. You'll also appreciate the... The conversation where he talks to Emma Stone, who is a fellow actor when he was in Battle of the Sexes. And in a little game of geography on the side during a break, Emma realizes, along with Chip, that Emma's parents went to Miami. uh, And that Chip knew knew of them and certainly knew of uh, her aunt. And then went back and looked up some photos together. So a lot of fun. All roads lead to Miami. Hope everyone enjoys the conversation with Chip.
0: I worked with Clint Eastwood and Donald Sutherland in uh, Space Cowboys. And so you can imagine that was crazy that Clint was directing and my scene was with Donald Sutherland. So, I mean, it's just strange. You're looking at a guy you've seen your entire life, to Both of these guys, and they're both giants. <laughs> just like I had to be calm. I kept telling myself, this is just like doing a sketch with Jeff Lewis at the Acme Comedy Theater, except it's Donald Sutherland and Clint Eastwood's directing us instead of Sweeney. You know, so it's like, that was just, ah, uh, yeah. That was a uh, one you just had to take in because it was just a
1: surreal moment. And and the, the line or lines all smooth and you you left there thinking, geez, this really is like everything else? Or it really ca- kind of carries the weight throughout the whole um, taping?
0: Well, the, the interesting thing about this is I got hired to be in Space Cowboys. Right? So I go to the set. Uh, ultimately, I got cut out of the movie. But they did give me a clip from my scene. So I have that on my website at chipchenry.com. But here's the story. I get hired to be in this movie. I show up on set. They point me to my dressing room. They give me the script for the day, the shooting script. I look at it. You know, there's other scenes other than mine. I'm just, uh, I get in my costume. They call me to set. I meet Clint Eastwood, hi, Donald Sutherland, and they kind of usher me to some chair to sit across from Donald Sutherland, and then Donald Sutherland looks at me, gets a look in his eye, like, let's rehearse this scene, and he starts doing the scene from the scene before mine, and I stop after he talks, and I say, "Um, I'm not in this scene, I'm I'm in the next scene, (laughs) and then Clint Eastwood goes, cut, (laughs) yeah, great, 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 that's, that's kind of your relationship. You guys are like that. And I go, no, no, I'm not kidding. I'm not in this scene. I'm, I'm Tom. I'm in the next scene. I'm not Tim in this scene. And he goes, no, actually, you're supposed to be in this scene. So um, we'll uh, we'll take a break for five, and then we'll set it up, and uh, we'll shoot it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I go, can I see a script? And i was like, what? what? And thank goodness the lines that I had weren't that involved. They were kind of just reacting to what Donald Sutherland had to say. But I thought it was amazing. He thought, Clint Eastwood thought I would have the guts to just pull that and go, oh, I'm not in this scene. My scene's another scene. I just was amazed that they thought I would have that kind of gumption. So, long story short, the scene got cut, but I had that little interaction with Jack Bauer's dad, which is fun.
1: <laughs> what's What's that like in a business where your scenes can get cut and you just don't know? Until you leave, or maybe a month later, or somebody calls and says, this is why we went in a certain direction?
0: Usually they'll let you know, uh, but unfortunately I went to the screening. And I sat through the movie, and I was invited to the screening, watched it, and I go, my scene should have been right around here. And the end of the movie happened, and the credits rolled, and I'm like, hmm, this is weird. And uh, then the next day I got a letter in the mail, hey... From the producer, hey, sorry, but we had to cut your scene. The movie's running long. We had to get rid of this and that. So they let you know, but you got, got lost in the mail. Or <laughs> it was delayed in the mail. So that was a weird feeling. No, no, I'm in the movie. Yeah, yeah, sure you are, buddy. Whatever.
1: Wow. And when we when we talked in setting this up, you said, hey, let's just... We, we should take touch base almost morning of because you find out the night before from audition. So in that world... Every day there's an opportunity, and every day somebody's casting for some role, right?
0: Uh, yes, it's, it's not always every day that I have something to do. But, uh, yeah, they, for commercials, you know the night before by around 7 o'clock usually, but sometimes you get day of auditions. So that's odd. But for TV shows and movies, it can be the day before. Sometimes they'll give you two days, but it's, it's not uncommon for them to say, yeah, you have an audition tomorrow at 4 o'clock for this. Do you
1: have, can you make it? And you go, uh, yeah, sure. And is Or that, no. And is that because they're, they're rewriting and rewriting and all of a sudden there's an ad for a particular role? Or some of these they are actually just creating for the first time the day before. They're certainly not creating the day before from, a, from a, a TV commercial that's being filmed or planned from an advertising agency for a long time. But how much of that is a rewrite or something new?
0: Uh, it could be in both both situations. It could be that they oh we just added this new character, so the casting is like scrambling. Oh, we they just gave me they gave me uh, the script today, and I have to have a session tomorrow, and I have to cast five characters. And then the breakdown goes out. That's the casting breakdown, which is the description. Hey, I need a cop, or I need a doctor, I need somebody to play the father, I need this or that. And the character goes out into the casting world, and then agents submit their clients and casting says bring this person in that person it's just uh, sometimes it just needs a quick turnaround sometimes they just re- sometimes they just created a character other times it's like this is just the way it is we just got the script let's go
1: and, and how different is it now um, just with the amount of comedy that I imagine can run anywhere from funny or die to YouTube from what it used to be just three or four networks and a few cable companies or providers?
0: Yeah, there's a lot more outlets now. Um, so there are more opportunities. It's not getting rich on them though. It's uh, with these things that are hey, YouTube uh, YouTube TV and it's a different rate than network television which is a different rate than SAG Ultra Low Budget or SAG Modified Low Budget. So there's all these different job opportunities but some of them I'm like, I don't want to, I'm not going to work for $125 for an eight-hour day. This is seems like i could go be a i could be a temp somewhere for that this is why would i do that yeah it's not as fun when they say hey it's 125 bucks i mean as a for uh, compared to i think this one day rate screen actors guild for half hour tv shows like 900 and something dollars so to give you some perspective well, on that man. so there are a lot of these different places that are cropping up like youtube tv but it's like the rates are so low sometimes that it's like well am i really being an actor or what, what am i doing here
1: Hmm, it's interesting. And yeah, I
0: put bread on the table.
1: And and I imagine because we talked about him, mean, you've done a ton of these sitcoms and all of them, and the best ones, from the Third Rocks and Seinfelds to Friends and Curb. But I, I yeah. also like that to a twenty five year old or maybe someone in Oxford, Ohio, right now, who's probably watching Brooklyn nine nine whose mom and dad is saying, hey, <laughs> go, go back on Netflix and take a look at what Seinfeld and Friends were because they've never seen them. Yeah. Everyone you talk strange. to is probably based on generation. The, those sitcoms are totally different per generation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, if you say, I have, I have a friend who's a writer and uh, she wrote on Friends back in the mid-90s. Now, when she goes out to take a meeting, she's my age. She's probably, I think she may be older. In their mid fifties, when they look on the resume, they say Friends, and they have to act like, Yeah, I forget. What did I did we write on Friends? I forget about that. That was like something like write in college or something. I they have to pretend that they're not fifty five because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, listen, you don't think your mom is hip? And if you're sitting across from somebody who's thirty or thirty five, if you're an executive who's thirty thirty five years old, and you're having a writer come in who's your mom's age, like no one thinks their mom is that cool. I mean, that's kind of the ageism of Hollywood. It's just the way it is. But uh, I don't know what got me on that. What was the question? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> we just move on. Oh, it's how, the
0: sitcoms are different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a long time ago. I did Seinfeld. It was 20 years ago. March was 20 years since I did Seinfeld. And that was a huge sitcom. And it was one of the last... I did the third to the last show, and it was the last studio show. The episode after mine was the Puerto Rican Day Parade, which they shot out on location, and then the one after that was the finale, so uh, I got to be there for the last studio show, so that was uh, March of 98. Mm. Long time. (laughs) But it is fun, because I did an episode of uh, Life in Pieces on CBS, and uh, did that in the past year, and when I was on set, this, this tattooed cameraman came up and goes, dude, let me shake your hand. You're one of those great character actors I've been watching my whole life. <laughs> and I just looked at this guy who was a grown man. I go, I am not as young as I think I am. <laughs> so I think I'm like that guy. I'm thinking I think I'm like 25 or 27. But here's this dude. He's like I've been watching you my whole life. I'm like, huh? Okay. I guess I'm old. I well, got old it, all of a sudden.
1: Every time I'm back at Skippers, I think I'm 25. But I know people are looking at me saying you're definitely not 25. So.
0: Yeah, we went back for some reunion once, and a bunch of uh, guys from the fraternity house were back there, and then we went to some party at some Delt Annex, and we were walking through the party, and it, you forget how packed it was, a shoulder-to-shoulder with kids, and all of a sudden somebody started yelling, parents, parents, <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm cool and young, like you guys, what's up? Parents, you just can't hide
1: how old you are. Speaking of those kids calling, yelling for you as parents, when yours were dropping you off in Oxford, and I think you were probably just up the road in Cincinnati or too far. Like, why, yep. why Miami? What, what were you thinking? And, and did you have any idea what business life would look like when you were an 18-year-old kid?
0: No, uh, my my. Well, let me think. My uh, my first cousins. Are seven and eight years older than I am, uh, Rick Fair and Cindy Fair, and they were at school at Miami. So I, I think I went up in probably sixth or seventh grade. We took a family trip to go up and visit them, and I just was in awe. It was like, this is so cool. So these are fraternity houses, awesome. And as Rick was a Delta there, he was the president of the Delta Tau Delta house or fraternity, and uh, so I eventually. That's, that was my first exposure to it, and it was just so cool to me. It's like, wow! So all you guys just live here, <laughs> and you have a cook, and you guys do. No one tells you what to do. You just walk around. It's awesome, and you know girls are everywhere. They're all beautiful, and this is just. I, I got to do. that. I got to go here. And plus, the campus is so, yeah, it's so pretty. You know, and it just it sells itself. You just you get the guy. I need to go here. I think I applied to Miami and to Bowling Green as a safety. And once Miami said, yeah, I go, like, oh, Cool, great, that's where I'm going. I just loved it.
1: And how much that was of my introduction? Yeah. And how much comedy was in your blood then?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, I started doing stand up when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a bar in Cincinnati, uh, called DWI, D period, W period, E Y E. And that was, uh, in 1981, I started doing it when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is six months after Jimmy Carter left office. So this was a long time ago. Oh. And, uh, So I had started doing it then and did about 10 open mics that summer and then went to college. I'm sorry, finished high school and went to college. And I would do a couple shows a year through those years. Uh, So I was interested in it and I had some background doing it. And I was, you know, horrible at 16, but you keep trying.
1: (laughs) I I, I always. You're the perfect one for this because on a number of these pods, I've always asked everyone, hey, if you went back to school, what's the one class that you should have taken or that you think should be required for all students now? And I've been saying it for 25 years since I've been out that improv should be required for all students. I
0: mean, for acting, it's absolutely, but it's also probably very good for business meetings. I haven't been in any in 30 years. But I I think when you have to think on your feet, yeah. I just think that's a great thing.
1: Friends, family, peers, everything you do is impromptu. Uh, You're right. That's great. And so is there a class that you recall from, I guess you're a psychology major. Is there a (laughs) class that, like, where does that come from? And a professor? I was more of a
0: failed business major. Okay. (laughs) I was uh, was a failed business major. I, I... uh, I wanted to get take mascom at Miami and my mom said, I'm not gonna pay for you to go to school there and take T V. It just whatever it was like my mom wanted something solid and I was like, All right, I'll take business. I don't have to take a language, that's good. I didn't like taking language in high school. I'll take business. I like numbers. And then, you know, I hit the buzzsaw of 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, calculus class in a huge lecture hall. That didn't work out so well. So whatever the deal was, I know that my folks were like, okay, let's uh, change course. And then they said, okay. And I said, well, let's get psychology. I like psychology. So that's what I took. That's how I became a psychology major. It wasn't a great plan that I set out for myself. But I was like, eh, I can get out in four years. Let's do it. And all my business courses were related. they were the related courses for my psychology degree. So at the time you could have psychology with an emphasis in business, psychology an emphasis in I think child development and something else and so all of my little classes that I collected for business uh, counted and helped me get to my degree
1: and when you got that and when you got that degree straight into stand up or some jobs along the way that from a path I
0: graduated, and then uh, I had always been interested in video and television and doing the stand-up and all of that showbiz stuff, and I had done some video projects for a guy who worked at the CBS affiliate in Cincinnati, WCPO, and it just so, I graduated, I gave Jim a call as I normally did, Jim Timmerman, and he's like, well, I'll keep an eye out in case something opens up, and like a week later something opened up, and I, he offered me the job as a cameraman, and I took it, and it wasn't until like a year later or so that he didn't, I was like, no, I, I don't have a mass comm degree. He just knew me from doing video projects with him on the side, um, and so he just assumed I was a mass comm major, but I wasn't, and I got the job as a cameraman, and uh, I think part of what got me that job was my senior year at Miami, I shot a day-by-day, year-in-the-life documentary. I bought a video camera and shot all the sporting events, the philanthropies, the parties. And while I was at Channel 9 in Cincinnati, I edited that all together. I had interviews with the guys from my fraternity house. And uh, so I created the Delt Time Capsule, AKA From Here to Fraternity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's what made Jim Timmerman assume that I was a Mass Comm major. So that happened. And I worked at Channel 9 for about 20 months and uh, left there to go be the PR director for a bank in Connecticut. Uh, That happened because I sent out letters to the parents of my fraternity, the guys in my fraternity, hey, buy your kid this video for Christmas. And one of them wrote back, and he was uh, the CEO of a bank in Connecticut called the Bank Mart, Richard Freeman. And uh, he was very kind, and he said, hey, I think I might have a job for you. We're looking for somebody with your skills.
1: <laughs> and were you thinking, were, were you thinking, what, from the cameraman job to the the PR comms job or the director of PR job, that you yeah. still were going to be doing comedy and you still were going to be acting, and this was just the means to eventually get there, or you you yeah. weren't sure?
0: I was I was on that path. I, while I was working at Channel Nine, I edited the Deltime Capsule, and when that ended, I finished that. Uh, I think in. The late summer of 87, and during that time, I also had been doing a radio show on WAIF in Cincinnati, a weekly comedy spotlight radio show where I spun records from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and uh, that was once a week. So I was doing that, and uh, I also started doing stand up again at the, uh, the Funny Bone in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And I so I was doing stand up, got offered this job. I was thinking this is a fluky thing. Why would I take a job at a bank in Connecticut? But I think it was twice as much money as I was making at the TV station. And I was like, well, why not? And I was like, what what other thing do I need? I said, well, I need to make sure that I can do stand-up up there. And as it turned out, the bank was located in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and a couple towns over was Westport, Connecticut, where they had a comedy club called The Treehouse. And Westport's also where my college roommate Steve McDonald lived, grew up, I should say. And he said, hey, my buddy Tom Hertz is doing stand-up, and uh, he should be able to tell you all about the treehouse in Westport, Connecticut. And Tom was, uh, he had just started doing stand-up professionally, got on the phone with him, he said, yeah, come on up, I'll introduce you around, it'll be fine. So once I knew I could do stand-up every week at an open mic nearby, I took the job in Connecticut, and the rest is history. <laughs> I lasted eight months there. And, uh, I didn't really. It wasn't a good fit for me. I just, it wasn't my thing. But thankfully, my the guy who hired me, Mr. Freeman, like, you know what? Uh, we went to lunch one day. He's like, you know, uh, I wanted to be a semi-pro baseball player. Or he wanted to be a pro baseball player. And he said he toiled until his mid-30s. And he thought, you know, if I were younger and Just went for it earlier in life. I think I could have maybe made it. And and so when I told him that I wanted to go do stand-up, he says, you got to go. You got to go do it. Um, So with his blessing, I left and uh, hit the road in October of 88. So 30 years ago, come October, I started on the road doing stand-up full-time.
1: And what do you remember about those first couple years? I have to imagine you're doing five or six shows a week, every week, just going where the next gig is.
0: Yeah, it was a. It was. It's strange you bring that up. I uh, recent. I realized I'm an archivist. I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually put a label on myself till recently. I had the Delt time capsule. That was an involved project. That was pretty cool. But when I started doing stand up on the road, I was like, you know, this this whole thing can be one long blur of a career if I don't take pictures. So instead of using video, like I did at the fraternity house, I started. Snapping a photo of everybody I worked with, uh, pictures of them on stage, and then a group photo, all three of us there. It's usually a three-person show, and I did that for every gig I did, except for if I were maybe at a club in New York and it would look like I was a tourist, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a showcase club where there's a hundred comics, that wasn't the case. I wouldn't take a picture then, but otherwise, if it's a, you know, if I'm at the Funny Bone in Cincinnati for a week those three guys I'd take pictures or if it's a one night or if it's Ozzy's balcony and you know, I'm somebody else I'm working with, just take a picture. And I also kept a journal. So recently <laughs> I decided to take my journals, dictate them into a Microsoft word document using voice to text dragon, naturally speaking software. And, uh, so my journal that I kept from the road days I now have, and I'm going through it, trying to see if there's some sort of book there, see if it's, uh, anything really interesting to anyone other than me or the people I worked with. <laughs>
1: it is interesting, though.
0: So I thought I'll take a picture. I'll put a picture up there, put a little blurb about what happened, and it might be interesting to somebody. So I, do, I have a very good memory of what happened <laughs> those years.
1: And so I told you I'm doing this Beyond High Street as a passion project. What, what about Chip's Money Tips? Dot com. Speaking of another website, I mean, there's that's got to be a passion play there, right, in, in it's finance? A, yes.
0: It's a hobby. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a man of letters. I don't have any... Uh, I have no... I'm not a personal finance... I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm nobody but a hobbyist, so I've created this little personal finance website, Tips Money Tips, to give some common sense tips to people because a lot of people are just horrible. They don't even know which direction to go with their money. So come up with little fun little tips. Here's how to do this or that. Here's something else you might want to get. Get this credit card. It'll give you $500 if you meet the spending requirement, tax free money, another one's 800 bucks or get this card and you can get free cell phone insurance plus 200 bucks. It's just a lot of different things. Why to get why to have a living will? Why not? It, it ranges. The place, but you're right. Like you know, right now, it's a big thing I have on there about how to get NFL Sunday ticket for free because uh, everybody wants to get that.
1: And what, what was the original reason to do it? Was it just uh, you you, you live the finance world, or you saw some mistakes and you wanted to fix it, or it was almost a more content to have out there that's humorous for you as just as. Uh, call it, i don't know, call it a resume builder after 30 years, but to uh, to keep you uh, doing things every day. What was the reason of actually starting it?
0: Uh, I just had some common sense ideas, and I thought, oh, should I should I make a late night TV infomercial about basic money tip ideas for people? And then my buddy said, no, no, dude, you got to get a blog. The kids all have blogs, man. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I was a little out of it, and like blogs. So I looked into that, and I thought, oh, this would be cool. I want to shoot little fun, little videos and write hopefully entertaining little copy, and and help people in the in the process. And I'm not a—I don't give stock tips. I don't do any of that. But I like to hopefully hopefully help some people, and I've gotten a lot of responses because a lot of people are just kind of don't know which direction to take. So.
1: And in the I last try to help in in the last year or two, I know you've you played the old ABC Sports president Rune Arledge on. In Battle of the Sexes, the Billy Jean King, yes. Bobby Riggs story with Steve Carell and Emma Stone. What, uh, yes. what is something like that? Are there, is there another, you talked about Donald and, and Clint before. Are there other iconic actors, actresses, directors, or shows that if you, if you could write down now in the journal that you said if you got cast over the next five or ten years, it's the one you want?
0: Well, I will tell you this about Battle of the Sex is a, kind of an interesting story. Um, I was I worked with uh, Emma Stone, and we were on a break between shots. And we were just kind of sitting there, and I said, So, Emma, where are you from? She said, I think she said Scottsdale or something. I said, Oh, that's nice. She said, Where are you from? I said, Oh, uh, Cincinnati. She said, Huh, my folks are from Columbus. They went to Miami. I said, I went to Miami. Where year, year were your folks? She said, uh, they graduated in 82. I said, I'm 86. Were they in fraternities or sororities? Uh, my mom was a DG. I forget what my dad was. I said, huh, what was your mom's name? Uh, Kathy Yeager. Because I knew some people who were of her age or closer, older than me. And I, so I texted my buddy, whose wife was a Delta Gamma. And I said, Tim, do you know anybody who uh, did they? Uh, it was a DG, might have known uh, Kathy Yeager? And then his wife, Margaret, who was a DG gets right back to me. Yeah, that's uh, Karen Yeager's sister. Karen Yeager was roommates with me and Katie, and uh, she dated Roger. I go, wait, I know Karen. So I come back from lunch. I go, Emma, the world just got smaller. I know your Aunt Karen. (laughs) No way. (laughs) She's like, yeah, she was roommates with Katie and Margaret. What are their names? And she starts texting Karen. It was uh, a super small world. And then I grabbed a still from some old photo from a date party with Roger and Karen when I got home and on the second day of the shoot I came back to it. There you go. Here's a picture of your uh your, your aunt Karen.
1: Oh my gosh. My kind of a small world. Small yeah. world in Oxford, Ohio. All right, give me yeah. give me a uh, the next one, the iconic, the, the actor, actress, director, producer or a set you want to be on, something that has a a lifelong community. Well, to...
0: yeah. I love Christopher Guest. I don't know if you are hit to him. Yep. He was in Spinal Tap. He just—he's a—he does all the best of show movies. Great dude, and I've had the chance to actually work with him twice. I did a, uh, some something for Fox Sports West ten years ago, and then he directed that. He directed that, and then I got to do a commercial that he directed for Viagra that only ran in Canada, <laughs> and it was with Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who was Freddie Boom Boom Washington, <laughs> and uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, So. That was a pretty cool thing to work with him because I just think he's just fantastic. I don't know if there's anybody else I have to work with. Maybe I'm done. I'm gonna sit back. (laughs) Call it a day. Yeah, I've done it all. I've worked with Christopher Guest, Clint Eastwood. Who else would be great out there to work with?
1: How how (laughs) hard is it? How hard is it if you started doing comedy when you were 16? How hard is it to write jokes? and stay funny 30 plus years later?
0: Uh, it is. It's, it's, first of all, when you're 16, you're not that funny. It's You don't have much life experience. And I was horrible. But you get better and that's one good thing. The more you write, the better you get.
1: Thank you, Chip. Really appreciate that. Uh, what a great storyteller. As you heard about it, I said in the pod, I loved when I was in college when we would go up on Sunday nights to Comedy Caravan. At the time, the the bar on campus balcony and listen to Chip perform as a stand up. That's back in 1992, 1993. So really fun 25 years later to do the pod with Chip. I really took a lot from the practice um, and being a a bad writer or you don't start off being a uh, a great writer, but it takes years and years of practice. And we can take that learning across all different fields for students, professors, people in the business place or even just comedians and actors. So I like that. Guys, I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation with Chip. I uh, hope to see everyone at Skippers real soon. I hope to grab a drink with Chip when I'm up there next too. Take care.